Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history that has two brothers talking. And, and on this and on this podcast, we talk about comic books. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other brother. My name is Kevin Hines. And uh, we're comedians-ish and uh, comic books fans and real brothers-ish. Ish, and we're excited to talk about comic books in this episode. And this is a mailbag episode where we're going to catch up on the on some email. Yeah, we've been having guests this season and uh, talking for too long, and it doesn't leave us a lot of time to go through emails. Also, we don't want to make a guest sit there and listen to us read emails. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're starting to build up. Yeah, so the emails have been sequestered to their own little episode, yeah, moved right. away from the main uh, episodes. And just left here in their own little walled-off uh, containment zone uh, episode. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question for you, but I think actually somebody else asked an email, so I'm going to let that email uh, lead you into your question. So that's oh. a little tantalizing a little teaser. teaser for what's to come, yeah. Exciting. Um, well, let's uh, let's get into it, Kevin, without Great. further ado. Um, oh, I should say, if you want to email us, you can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com. That's a new email address. Uh, we used to be screwed Spidey, but uh, a fan named Mark Bowen, Bowen uh, set us up a new email address. Thank you, Mark. So now we have screwitcomics at gmail. And the old email address, screwed Spidey, also still works. But you should be using screwitcomics at gmail. And we also have an Instagram, screwitcomics, and a Twitter, screwitcomics. I might change those so that they're all different. Yeah, why? Well, now that it's all the same, it's a little too easy. It's getting too convenient. I might call our Instagram... Uh, picks by Heinz and our <laughs> Twitter handle will be uh, what's a comic. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that. <laughs> That'll be a nice change, right? Yep. But for uh, now right that now, I've this... said it, someone's going to sit on those and try to charge me an arm <laughs> and I'll pay, I'll pay whatever it takes to get those. Anytime somebody comes to Kevin with a domain they've gotten, he coughs up the cash. They know me. They got me. They got me. But uh, for the, this uh, particular small window, our, in, our social media handles are all screw it comics. Yeah. It's a brief, so, brief period. Um, so let's get into it. What do we got? Great. Uh, our first email is from uh, someone who didn't sign, but I'm going to assume their name is Devon based mm-hmm. on uh, uh, their email handle. Um, which one of these will do you think you could walk away with the least amount of emotional scarring? Okay. A night stuck in a bunker with the Hulk. So like Rick Jones used to yeah. sit in the bunker with the Hulk behind a, a, a concrete slab while the Hulk pounded on it, threatening to kill him all night. Right. That's one thing. Okay. Or a month. So one night with the Hulk or a month stuck on Peter Parker's couch post Gwen Stacy's death. Oof. So you're living with Peter Parker for a month after his uh, the love of his life has been murdered uh, by uh, his arch enemy, the Green Goblin. Is, is the Hulk behind a bunker door or am I like in the bunker with the Hulk? I, th- I, th- I think if you, if you're in the bunker, you're dead. So it's got to be emo- yeah, emotional. I think story. you're behind the wall, but you have to sit there and listen to him. Yeah. One night, baby. One night with the Hulk pounding away. I, no problem. Yeah, we saw, we on... saw Rick Jones do it. Rick Jones has made a tougher stuff than me. Oh, I'd be crying and shaking, but it's still just one night. Um. Uh, I mean, because the other option is Peter Parker. You're staying on his couch. You know, it's more comfortable. Yeah, but it's a month. You don't sleep well on couches. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's right. Um, yeah, you're probably right. The Hulk's probably easy. I mean, he's threatening to kill you. 
There's that feeling. There's that feeling that he will hunt you down later and find you. Where Peter Parker isn't going to. Uh, uh, there's no post month risk. Listen, I can't stand sleeping on people's couches anymore. I don't know. So it's just Peter the couch. That's the turnoff. Yeah, it's the couch. I, if, if You'd it was, rather spend one night on a cement floor than a month on a couch. That's right. It's really the Hulk Spider Man thing is irrelevant. Okay, interesting. I think you're right. I just wanted to play devil's advocate for a little bit there. Appreciate it. Great All right, question. Thank you. Thank you for the email. Thank you, Devon. I should say these emails right now are from our Screw It Spidey inbox. I'm still clearing that out. Uh, this is from Devin. Uh, the last one was Devon. This one's from Devin. Those are different okay. names. Okay. Uh, so he starts his email, hello, milksops. <laughs> He says, I'm not British. I'm just trying to stand out. Successful. Successful, yeah. I'll remember you for uh, a British see. correspondent. He's, I'm 22 years old and started listening recently due to Morpheus plugging it on CBB. Mm -hmm. I was never that into comics, although Spider-Man was always my favorite of any superhero. I had the books with all the characters in it that explained who they are and what their powers were. Great read. My last name is Hammer, so Hammerhead was always my favorite villain. Uh, anywho... I started listening because I figured I would never read the comics, so this would be a good way to digest them. After listening to Secret Wars, I was excited to keep listening. I went back to your Sandman season and intrigued me to the point where I went out to my local comic shop and picked up the first two volumes of mm. the collection. I'm halfway into Doll's House, and I'm hooked. Oh, great. I ordered the original TMNT comics, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for you, Will, uh, and haven't read them yet, but was wondering if... You all ever read them or have an opinion on them? I always like to imagine a world where the titular turtles are fighting alongside good old Spidey. So another question, is there a dream mashup you've always wanted or thought about a lot? Thanks, Milk Sops. And I love the music, Will. This guy's yeah. a Will Hines fan through and through. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for thank you for making it here to this corner of the Will Hines universe. He's talking about your band, I think. Uh, Wayne, Wayne and Rodney. Rodney. Wayne and yeah. Rodney. Yeah, my friend Joel Spence and I made a band. I don't know why, for no reason. Joel's quite musical, and I've got audacity, not the program, just guts. You got charisma. You got raw Yeah, I got raw charisma. stage presence. I got a thin little reedy voice and a questionable hold on pitch, but uh, a lot of guts. You can, get, you can get Wayne and Rodney on Bandcamp. Just search for it. Yep. Thank you, Kevin, for plugging it. Yeah, um, well, I wouldn't if Devin didn't bring it up. <laughs> um, you know, I hate to buzzkill everybody because I know that everybody loves Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and they're a phenomenon. And a lot of people got very attached as kids from watching cartoons or movies and stuff. But Will Hines is old. I was like 16 or 17, I think, when the Turtles debuted as a black and white comic. And maybe, maybe I was like 13 or 14. And so... I was kind of too old to get like swept up in turtle mania. I sort of, I have the most boring take of all, which I, I just kind of liked that the turtles comics fueled this black and white comics boom, which they did. And so a lot of like kind of artsy weirdo comics got like made or promoted. And I liked all of those, even though they didn't really have a lot to do with the turtles. I read maybe like four or five early issues and thought it was like, fine i mean the I mean, the comics were good the artwork's good the stories are fun but i was never big time hooked the way like a lot of people are i i mostly years later saw the impact that the turtles had in like when i was teaching improv classes and people would constantly do like improv scenes as the turtles or about the turtles and comedy sketches about the turtles started just happening a ton and our friend sean Diston is obsessed with the turtles and has a podcast called We Need to Stop Talking TMNT on CBB. 
Um, but I'm not, I'm not so big into them myself. Did Kevin. you read the first issue and it's direct allusion to daredevil? Yes, I did. I mean, I was first, a big Frank Miller Daredevil fan. So when I saw right. the initial, tra- I was like, oh, this is a Frank Miller parody because it kind of yes. was. It 100% is. I mean, they fight the foot instead of the hand. And the, yeah, they have Splinter. And the, and, st- um, and the toxic chemical that gives Matt Murdock his powers is what falls into the sewers and turns and the turtles. the turtles, it, yeah. Takes the turtles. So Their it's the teacher is chemical. Splinter and Daredevil's teacher is Stick. Yeah. Splinter's a rat. Stick seems to be a human from last time. Uh, so he's, that's a, he's a human. Yeah, that, that is different, right? Um, I read a bunch of these as a kid. I, I like them a lot. Um, uh, I, I Once Eastman and Laird stopped making them together, which was pretty not that didn't take that long for those guys to kind of have a falling out or, or just stop working on it. And they started sort of farming it out to other creators. I lost interest pretty quickly. Um and it was kind of inconsistent before then, but it was also, there's something gritty and cool about like this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that most people knew as a Saturday morning cartoon had this sort of very gritty, dark, vicious, violent comic book behind it. Yeah. Uh, and I did enjoy that aspect of it. That as like as a kid, I was like, oh, this is the real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. They didn't eat pizza. They didn't uh, <laughs> drive around on a, a, to- a van that could be turned into a toy. Yeah. Uh, they lived in the sewers and they fought uh, humans, not even robots. I think it was like ro- the the foot were robots in the cartoon to make it easier for them to be violent towards them. Uh, so I, I dug it a lot. I even had some of the, um, I went after some of the solo, like each character had a solo comic, Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo, Donatello. I have three or four, three or all four of those, though one of them might be a second printing. Those were hard to get. Like that along with the tick were sort of like these big phenomenons that became so big and that people knew about. And these characters got are way bigger than most indie Like there's no Cerebus knowledge outside of comic books. Yeah. And that's a huge character in comic books. Right. But these characters are so big that kids know them. Everyone knows them. My wife knows who the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are. They're massive. They're massively huge. Um, and she does not care about comics in the least. Like before the MCU, the turtles were bigger than like, I would say black widow or Hawkeye. You know what I mean? Like in, yeah, terms, they were, of, in terms of how well they were known. I would say for a while they were bigger than maybe everyone, but Spider-Man, maybe also the Hulk. Uh, yeah, the Spider-Man, the Hulk and the turtles were like similarly big for sure. Yeah. X-Men were big too because of their cartoon. I mean, it's having a cartoon, having a Saturday morning cartoon during like the height of Saturday morning cartoons is enormous. Yeah. And the turtles movies, like they, it was just crazy what a huge phenomenon they were and and are. They're beloved, and they, like they people and still they love. They keep the turtles. having movies, yeah. and they keep having cartoons, and they keep having toys. Like they're never going away. It is so strange, right? Like what hits? Like what is it? Because like you're saying, the original Eastman and Laird comic was gritty and violent, and just way more of like a Frank Miller Daredevil ninja inspired thing. Yeah, but the the institution of the turtles as they are today is not that it is the fun loving scamps, you know? Yeah. Right. It's like the, it's like the, the cartoon, the Saturday morning cartoon is really more of the source material for what the turtles are. Yeah. And obviously some of the cartoons are grittier than others. Uh, I haven't watched most of them. Uh, but yeah, I don't know why it was so big. It, it's, it's baffling. And now it's big, I guess on nostalgia, right? Yeah. That just will fuel it forever. That'll bring it back and then other kids will watch it and then they'll have nostalgia for it and that will never go away. 
But I feel like hollow come Halloween, there's always like somebody dressed up as turtles or April or, or splinter. And like, you know, either like ironically or nostalgically, like they're, they're locked in. Have I told you about the scene Ben Rogers did in an improv? Uh, no. uh, rehearsal Tell me about it now. I can't wait. Where he was a police officer and Dominic, Dominic Dierkes, uh, uh and Dom and Ben are both like television writers now. Dom Dierkes was playing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, I believe. And Ben Rogers was playing a police officer who wanted to know where they were on 9-11. <laughs> it was, so he, where were you? He was just like, like his, part, gritty, his partner like, died in 9-11 and he was blaming, God. he was blaming the turtle. What an amazing scene. It was so, so funny. And I think later on we saw the turtles like come out of the sewer, look at what was going on and go back down. <laughs> so it's like, we're not out of our involved. league. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was very, very funny. It was very dark. It was like a year after 9-11. <laughs> maybe, maybe a year and a half. It felt like too soon, but it was yeah. so funny. It was like one of those things like you didn't see many jokes about it yet still. Yeah. But it was so, so funny. I, I love it. Sounds but great. Ben Rogers also has that intensity and commitment that you, oh, just, yeah. like, you buy it. it was you really play cool. that cop great. I think about uh, that all the time. That's, my, that's <laughs> maybe the second thing I think about with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Is that <laughs> so... But we don't have so we don't have any mashups in mind. We just have dumb improv scenes and two intense, two dark improv scenes that we want featuring the turtles. I think my mashup is Ben Rogers with the Teenage Mutant Turtles. <laughs> A very specific niche mashup. Yeah, yeah. I guess mine will be Andy Daly. Okay, great. As long as it's say, uh, boys, <laughs> who are we gonna be mutating today? That's not what we do, Andy Daly. Well, I'm all for it. I'm mutating. No wisdom teeth. <laughs> We do um, pretty great Andy Daly impersonations. Oh, yeah, pretty, pretty mediocre. Pretty spot on. All right, let's go on to the next uh, email. Okay, this is from Bernie. Good. Uh, uh, I Madoff like to... or uh, Sanders? Bernie uh, Madoff just died, Well, I know, too soon. Sorry. And he sent us this email right before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has an investment opportunity for you. I'm on board. Okay, great. I feel like, you, let me read it to you first. Did, okay. Uh, no, Bernie Lockard. Um uh, dear Will, this is, he directs it at you. Ouch. Okay, good. Uh, I would like to pitch some ideas for your brilliant Enforcers TV show. Oh, that's why. Okay. Because you've sort of blocked me out of that TV show. I'm not a part of it. Uh, idea one, we see the molten man walking around New York going about day-to-day -day business. He's gone clean, but everywhere he goes, New Yorkers freak uh, uh, shout freak at him and throw stuff at him. A close-in shot of him as he's trying to hail a cab, and he's hitting the face with a nice coffee. Uh, he's depressed and lonely. He just wants to be loved. So he enlists the help of New York's finest brand managers, the Enforcers. They set up a Flower of Love style reality competition show to help him find that place of himself that he's missing. They call it Heart of Gold. Uh, uh, yeah, and then it goes on from there a little bit. That feels out of touch, uh, out, out of sync with your idea, right? My idea is way dumber. It's just sort of like... Fancy Dan's down on his luck and wants to reclaim dignity for his little band of losers. Yeah, but and, they're criminals. Oh, yeah. They're bad. They're not starting reality TV shows. No, it is a totally different. It's totally different. Yeah. But thank you for thinking about my my favorite intellectual property. Uh, he also wants one with a shocker. His evil plan <laughs> was foiled and Spider-Man webbed his thumbs. Uh, uh, after spending days in prison for his crimes and learning a lesson, he too decides to go straight. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, Bernie, these ideas are good, but they're for... Uh, the good guy enforcers TV show where yeah. Wills is the enforcers who want to be bad guys. We want to be respected bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Hey, but 
anything that gets the enforcers more profile, I'm in favor of. So if you can get this, if you yeah. can get this deal done uh, with Bernie, let's do it. So I think in our original riffing, we talked about them accidentally becoming heroes for a while and and hating it. Well, they would be the protagonists of the yeah. No, I meant like the TV show. they would accidentally like save somebody. Right, right, and, and they'd be hailed as heroes. And like, oh, like nobody respects us. <laughs> We're criminals. And then like the New York Post is you know New York's greatest heroes. Kevin, you'll be in the writers' room when I get this show off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the Jack Kirby. I'm gonna be furious. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be the Stan Lee. Ripping uh-huh. off my own brother. I mean, I think Stan and Larry Lieber had a had a had a sort of icy relationship, so we could mirror that, you know. But uh, I'll rip you off, Kevin. Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby style. <laughs> yeah. Uh Michael Mulligan writes, uh, I hear a lot of my fellow fans recommending Superior Spider-Man. Uh, but not its follow-up, the Spider-Event, the Spider-Verse. I'll admit I haven't listened to every episode, so I may be wrong about the lack of recommendations. I think he's right. I don't think people have recommended that to us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, But I believe you get a lot of friends asking you to cover Superior Spider-Man, which is arguably the greatest Spidey story of the century. Wow. Uh, But in my opinion, Spider-Verse seems way more up your alley as fans of the character and medium. The amount of bizarre references, homages, and cameos in the miniseries is remarkable unto itself, but when you add in the supplemental specials that were published alongside it, uh, Dan Slott and Co. deserve an award of some sort for what they accomplished and may have received. I'll also admit I did not look that up either. Uh, Spider-Verse is a total bonkers off-the-wall superhero story that can't work in any other medium while simultaneously having heart, being down-to-earth, and totally relatable. And it's only six issues in the main story. You can knock the whole season out in an afternoon. So until Spider-Ham is drafted by the Toon Squad as point guard, make mine screw it, Spidey. Um... Uh, I think Spider Verse is fun. Yeah, you've read it. Um, it definitely, I've definitely, you know, what I, this is the dumbest thing. I've gone down like a rabbit hole of looking up on Wikipedia all of the different Spider Man characters, like referenced in Spider Verse mm-hmm. a- after the movie came out. I just wanted to see like how many different ones are, me- and there's a ton of them, I guess, mentioned, if, yeah, at I least mean, incidentally. A lot of them are either mentioned or, or killed off panel. Yeah. Um, which Dan Slott took a lot of heat for. You know, it's like he killed the Amazing Friends, Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, people got so mad about that. And it's like the cartoon isn't can't it doesn't like cease the cartoon from existing. Yeah, you can still have nostalgic feelings about the cartoon episode. And if Marvel wanted to do a comic book set in the universe, they still would they wouldn't let that stop. Yeah, them. there is no practical downside of what yeah. Dan Slott did. But it's just like, they, I, I don't know, like it was mean-spirited where it was like, I don't know. It's a comic about a bunch of Spider-Men getting killed. It's, yeah. Why not them? Yeah. Um, uh, Dan Slott knows what he's doing. I trust Dan Slott. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, fun. Uh, maybe maybe we'll cover it someday. Um, yeah. It is fun. It's it, it also is fun in a post-Superior Spider-Man world because they bring the Superior Spider-Man as one of the many Spider-Men in the, in the book. And he's not a real Spider-Man, right? He's, you know, he's Doc Ock. We'll get into it when we talk about Superior Spider-Man. Eventually <laughs> will. Um, uh, the, the Superior Spider-Man, there's been such passion for it that I'm kind of more intrigued just because so many people have been into it. But um, that's no knock on Spider-Verse. And of course, the movie Spider-Verse is incredible. So anything that helped inspire that movie deserves kudos to, for that alone. Uh, this is a good one, Will. We got an email from Paul Fung. This is a comic book that I have not read and I did not know about. And I find fascinating. Are you ready for this? Yes. Uh, uh, 
He, what would Marvel be like without Ditko and Kirby is what inspired this question, I guess. Okay. His answer is pretty weird. <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, though I think we were pondering without one or the other, not without both. Um, but anyway, I've always ignored pre-Miller Daredevil before and was surprised at how good these early stories are. You get Bill Everett doing the first issue, which looks great. Then Joe Orlando, then the great Wally Wood run. The stories are part Marvel angst and energy and part DC whimsy and elegance. But I'm mainly writing about Daredevil number 16 and Men Shall Call Him Ox by Stan Lee and John Romita. Okay. Uh, Ox, and he talks a little bit about your TV pitch. Uh, Ox had appeared in Daredevil before, presumably because Stan didn't want to have to come up with another strong dude. But this is where he shines. This story is nothing special. Dumb Ox is in jail and his cellmate is an evil but feeble genius scientist. Stan treats this dynamic with his trademark subtlety. They escape and the scientists switch their brains. So you have the evil scientist's brain in Ox's body, in Ox's brain in the body of a weakling. Standard stuff, he says. <laughs> uh, he wants to share two panels, uh, which I will forward you after, Will. The evil scientist in Ox's body fights Daredevil, knocks him out, and then has a great idea. And so they show Ox uh, standing uh, over Daredevil. And he says, and now I'll give the police something to wonder about to keep them too busy to bother with me. So this is Ox with the scientist yeah. brain. Mm -hmm. Thinks to himself, this is something the real Ox would never have thought of, which is why Carl Strag will never be captured as he was. And then he says out loud, I had a feeling I might find some use for this extra set of Ox garments. And he's pulling out a, a package of his, you know, yellow shirt. His and standard vest. clothes. Yeah. He's got two sets of it. He's got one in a, uh, wrapped up <laughs> under his little vest. Uh, so he's going to dress the uncomfortable Daredevil as ox to frame him. Uh, he loves the line. I had a feeling I might find some use for this extra set of ox garments. Yeah. I like the idea that ox garments are some instantly <laughs> recognizable thing. Yes. It's not like he's got an actual costume. He just seems to wear the same clothes every day like Homer Simpson. Uh, but then the next panel is Daredevil dressed as ox. So it's still in his cowl, his daredevil cowl, but now he's yes. got an oversized yellow shirt and an oversized vest that don't fit him. Uh, and the police are saying he must have figured he could go on a crime spree throughout the city. And in the dark of night, everyone would think he had it, he was the escaped ox. But why? Why would a guy like him do it? Uh, far as I'm concerned, you got to be nuts to be a costumed trouble seeker to begin with. So it seems like the police think Daredevil was trying to fool them. In this ox costume. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's a very funny panel of Daredevil dressed as ox. <laughs> uh, Sounds pretty we, fun. Then we see ox in the scientist's body. Uh, this And it takes a flowers for Algernon territory twist. He's getting smarter and more philosophical. He's had some kind of epiphany. It's a funny all of a sudden. I ain't even sorry about not being the ox anymore. Somehow I feel sort of smarter now, like maybe the changes for the better. Uh, and then he walks off into the sunset. Uh, I'll go back to prison now. <laughs> it's like being given a second chance at life. And this time I'll make something of myself. I'll try to be worthy of this miracle. So I guess he goes back to prison. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's insane. I had to look up into it and like how Daredevil got, uh, how Ox gets his body back and stuff. Cause he still exists every now and then. I think he's died a few times, like all Marvel characters. Yeah. But I, they, there's some weird sciencey thing where he gets put back into an ox body at some point. Right. Um, 
It's insane. Well, you know, any story that doesn't get like a ton of attention sort of doesn't affect the larger continuity. I'm sure there's tons of crazy 60s Marvel comics that were never directly addressed, but we just like, eh, don't worry about that or whatever. Yeah. And body switching was a pretty casual thing that happened in the 60s, which is sort of a sort of a prequel to Superior Spider-Man in a way. I was going to say, yeah, this feels a little bit like Superior Spider-Man, but with a better protagonist in the ox. Um, I think Slot has some explaining to do. He stole this. Let's see. We got an email from Graham Partridge David. This is the guy who sent us art for that I'm using as our banner on our Twitter profile. Oh, thank you, Graham. The Hulk backhanding us. Yeah, I love it. So it's a really nice little piece. Thank you for that, Graham. He sends us an email. I love the series and the Secret Wars. I read them as they came out. And the fun experience of seeing the effects in the ongoing monthly comics and then reading what precipitated it all. Uh, as a dyed-in-the-wool X-Men fan, I still have a grudge against the way they were portrayed in Secret Wars. The fact that Cyclops wasn't on a team before they came to Beyond this Planet and they didn't bring Kitty Pride, but her dragon Lockheed went along. Just weird. Uh, not to mention the infamous Spider-Man fight. Uh, let's go down a little bit. The interviews so far have been phenomenal. Tom Brevroot was great. Mm-hmm. And I am reading his blog, which fills me with glee. I love his behind-the-scenes perspectives with his hilarious reluctance to read early Marvel. I'm yeah. lucky enough to own a copy of that issue of FF. You went over together. It truly is bonkers. And yes. Jeff Smith, finally a guess whose name you can pronounce. Ouch. <laughs> uh, True, though. Fair. I was similarly intrigued to hear to know how much storytelling he picked up from Neil Adams. He was just a treat to listen to as he remembered so much comics context from his childhood. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you so much for listening. And then Graham asks, I wonder if you've had a chance to read Agents of Atlas. I think Kevin, I think Kevin has mentioned it, though it suffered from inconsistent art because of a rotating group of artists. The writing by Jeff Parker, some of my favorite modern comics, really charming and funny. The characters genuinely care for each other, and he manages to take 50s concepts and make them work. The 50s superheroes are often overlooked because they were so few and the designs don't generally hold up. We see a lot of 40s and 60s heroes and stories revisited, but the 50s are a tougher sell. Uh, uh, Agents of Atlas is basically about like these weird um, forgotten superheroes of Marvel or timely okay. maybe at that time. Yeah. It's like a, 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 this um, this Martian character whose name I forget, like a gorilla, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A, a weird robot, a, 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 a Namorita, like a, a, a Namor relative. Okay. And um, and maybe like uh, uh, Venus or something, the goddess. It's like this weird team, and it's all led by Jimmy Woo, Shield Agent. Okay. Uh, and it is great. It is a great series. Oh, so that cool. Never sold. So it would have like eight issues and get canceled, and then come back as like a mini series and get canceled, and it was just like constantly trying to to survive, and it just never quite took. Uh, but Jeff Parker is a really good writer, so it, it, it is really fun. Like it just feels like Jeff Parker is such a good writer. You're like, oh, you give this guy any characters, it would be good. You made this book good. Um, um, that was really fun. Cool, cool tip and cool recommendation. Thank you, Graham. And he has a question, Will. Okay. Uh, if you could voice either Doc Ock or J. Jonah Jameson, oh, which would it be? I mean, okay, I would love to do JJJ, but I. Unfortunately, don't think I'd be great at it. Like I'd be sort of 
sad. It'd be like if I was cast in the role of Spider-Man, I'd be like, look, yeah. this is a dream come true, but like, <laughs> I can't do this to the character. Yeah. So I, you're just, but you're just the voice. I know. I know it's possible. Like I, I, I could do, I think a pass. Well, I think I could actually probably do a pretty good JJJ. I wouldn't be the ideal. I mean, it's so tough after seeing JK Simmons do it mm-hmm. in the original, um, Sam Raimi movie. Um, it's hard for me to imagine anybody else doing it, but, uh, Jay, I, okay. I'll pick Jay Jonah James and it'd be so much fun to yeah. be him. If you're offered both of them, I think you got to do it. I'm offered blue beetle or booster gold. Interesting. Kevin, That's um, a, what do you pick? Yeah. <laughs> Similarly, I feel like I'm probably closer to a blue beetle because blue beetle comes off. It seems to me to be more of a, a little nebbishy, right? Yeah. He's, a little more nerdy. Yeah. Where blue booster gold was at least at one point, a successful football player. But this is the voice, right? It's just the voice. If I was casting you, I would have you do Booster. Because I think, think you would do the happy kind of like, you know, unapologetically. I think you'd get into that. I think you'd yeah. be good at that. And, and sort of his, he's often portrayed as just a, just a little clueless at times. Yeah, I think, and I think you could pull that off. And I think that'd be very fun to play. I'd, I'd cast you as Booster. I do agree. You're more of a Blue Beetle personality like in your life. Mm-hmm. But in terms of your performance persona, I would cast you as Booster. Lewis Ryan emails us. Good. How did you like that transition? I thought it was perfect. There's none. Uh, 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 he is enjoying the guest episodes. I thought Will's impression of Stan Lee writing Sandman was one of the funniest things you've ever done. Surprised you only did it once. <laughs> I forgot about it. Uh, we, we also did Stan Lee narrating Watchmen. So we've, we do that every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. He's always so fun to throw into like very serious Subtle artsy comedy, yeah, yeah. he would ruin them so solidly. Um, I love that you guys talk about Stan a lot and point out that he was actually a pretty good writer and a necessary component. One series oh, that I sure. feel g- gets overlooked when talking about Stan's writing is his Silver Surfer run in the late 1960s. Yeah. Um, I love when people bring up stuff like this because it's like, oh, but I haven't read that. <laughs> we like him, but we didn't read one, one of, of his, his like most big, important things. Yeah. I think yeah. I've actually I have read an issue. This is the Sal Buscema. Stuff, yeah. right? This is the start, the one of the many um cracks in his relationship with Kirby that Kirby was not the artist on this and was not, yeah, he took it away from it. Kirby, yeah, yeah. But Stan like felt ownership of Silver Surfer, yeah. Um, we should we got to do an episode on this True Believer book that I read. I'm reading a couple of Stan Lee biographies, maybe when yeah. I finish them all, we can like do an episode. Um, the Stan and Jack relationship is fascinating and um. It does seem like a shame, like that with just a couple more like conversations and a little bit more um, consideration, it could have been a way better relationship. If um, like Martin Goodman was like a good person and would sat down with them. Oh, yeah. I mean, Martin Goodman is like the heel, I think. Like, yeah. um, uh, but behind a lot of the sort of things that Stan gets pinned for, not that Stan is blameless, but. Yeah, if Martin Goodman had been like, look, Kirby's a huge part of this. Let's make it right. Let's give some serious money. Um, then, I, then, yeah, I actually weirdly have daydreams about that, about like the Marvel family being emotionally healed. <laughs> but well, And um, also, like, I think if Kirby could have gone to somebody above Stanley's head and said like, hey, Stan's taken, I feel server server's mine. He thinks it's his. Get involved here. Yeah. We need someone else. To, and we're, he can't really do that. Stan was the top. Yeah. As far as Kirby... Uh, was concerned. 
Anyway, uh, he goes on. It's a rare example of Stan writing a series without Kirby or Ditko, instead using John Puskema as a penciler. I, said I remember Sal. this being. I don't know why I said that. Sorry. Oh, did you? Uh, I, said... I heard John in my head. Yeah, because that's the right name. Uh, I remember this being a very good, very strong series, particularly particularly in its first half dozen issues, which were double sized. Issue five in particular stands out to me, telling an impactful story about bigotry and alienation that has stood with me through the years and was the first issue I thought of when Stan passed. Hmm. Overall, it's an excellent series that showcases Lee's writing talents because he pretty much got out of the comics writing game a few years later. Have either of you guys read the series? What are your thoughts? I haven't read it too much. I read an issue or two a long time ago. I remember thinking it was like pretty good. I mean, look, I'm, I love Stan Lee, so I'm kind of easy to please with him. I oversee, I overlook his like, you know, insane stylistic choices a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I like it when he's earnest. I know that he overdoes it and he does this crazy flowery purple prose and his like good guy, bad guy stuff from what I remember tends to be pretty simplistic, but I'm, I, I get swept up in it. I, I, I like Stan's writing, especially at that time, you know, it, it was not so out of date then. Um, he's not afraid to have simple good guys, bad guys. You know, one thing I dislike about modern comics, even though they are in 90% of the ways so much better than 60s comics, the one thing I don't like is they apologize a lot for being comics and they apologize a lot for just having heroes and villains. Stan was not burdened with that. He just had good guys and bad guys and the good guys wrestling with evil very directly. I kind of like it in a lot of ways. It's unburdened by like self-consciousness. It's just like the surfer is a naive guy trying to do the right thing. And there's true evil, you know, um, attacking him and I'm there for it. So my memory of it is good. I, I haven't checked it out recently though. Kevin. I've never read it. I've never read that Stanley uh, run. There also is the I've definitely read the Kirby Lee one they did in the late seventies. Like Kirby came back and they did the one yeah. big Silver Surfer story. And I think I read that. It's like it's basically the Galactus story if you remove the FF, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've read that. I think you lent that to me. Um, that's also good. I think it's starting to be out of date, right? Like the old men are are you know you're starting to see them be out of touch there in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. But I it's not bad. The art is great. Um, Super Kirby, you know, Kirby was getting very blocky and like more severe, but I kind of like that. I don't know. There's something real sweet about it. There's something just very unguarded about Stan Lee's Silver Surfer, and I I dig it. Yeah, I, I got to read it. Another one of those many things that I got to read. Yeah. You know, we're, we're Stan defenders in this podcast, even though we definitely allow his many shortcomings mm-hmm. and misdeeds. They're, those are true, but... Our yeah. our net grade of Stan is a thumbs up. Yeah, we're defenders of him without saying this guy's innocent. Right. We we know that he did wrong and he could have done a lot of things better. Mm-hmm. But he had real artistic talent that I think gets discounted because of his kind of salesman hucksterism. Uh, Shane Malone emails us. I vaguely remember Kevin saying that he wasn't a fan of Jonathan Hickman's work on FF during the second season of your podcast. Uh, and I probably did say that it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't my thing. Uh, we're spoiled. We're John Byrne fans and nobody can do FF like Byrne to us. Yeah. Uh, he is now running the X-Men after a few years away from Marvel. And there's one issue I'd like to recommend to you both. Uh, House of X2 is a story that retells, rewrites and reaffirms the history of the X-Men through the eyes of Moira, 
McTaggart. The X-Men feel exciting again for the first time since Grant Morrison left the book. Would love to hear your opinion. Uh, have you gotten around to reading this yet, Will? No, I haven't. I really got to do it. Uh, it's great. It's uh, that issue in particular is really. I'm not, uh, Will and I are have outed ourselves as uh, ignorant X Men fans, yes. having read only a smattering of the X Men comics, and I'm familiar with Moira, but I really hadn't read most of the issues where she matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read this and I was like, oh, this is good. Like even without knowing the history that was being sort of rewritten and and retconned, I was like, this feels really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it just felt it made me excited about the X-Men as if I had been a longtime reader of the X-Men. We got to uh, we got to do an X-Men dive, not not necessarily in the podcast, but just for our own edification. Yeah, you know, I was we got to we got to uh, dig that, into that, that we should maybe have a segment where it's just like how much X-Men have you read this week? <laughs> we should catch it. We should at least read the Claremont Burn stuff because there's not a huge amount of it. We could do mm-hmm. that pretty quick. I read all the Simons and Thors two years ago at Chris Gethard's behest, and I was so glad that I did. So I definitely could do a similar thing with the Cla- – I've read a lot of Claremont X-Men, um, just weirdly the post-burn stuff, which is maybe dumb of me. But, you know, Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'd love to – and I got to read the Hickman X-Men too. Yeah, uh, the, the Hickman stuff, it's been going on it's, – it's got so many books and spread out so thin. But that initial two miniseries, House of X and Power of X, are just really fun. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check at least that out. Uh, Reese, uh, a former guest and friend of the podcast, Casey uh, of the uh, 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 Danger Casey Room Bruce Comics, of the Danger Olympia. Room Comics, uh, messaged me. Uh, I love the Jeff uh, loves Neil episode. That's what he's calling the Jeff Smith episode. Great title. Just in the last six months at my shop, we actually had this issue and a bunch of other Batmans from around then, all brought in by a longtime customer who had bought them when they were new, read them once, and kept them in a box ever since. Condition-wise, they were the, easily the nicest comics from that era that I've ever seen. It was very cool to see those in original printings. Uh, uh, anyway, great episode. Look forward to hearing what other guests you have lined up. Oh, thank you, Casey. Uh, and it's very cool. Yes, that was a really fun uh, episode. Casey's the uh, co-owner of Danger Room Comics in um, Olympia, Washington. Yeah. A great store and a great Instagram. A great person. A hundred percent great person. He'll never yeah, do anything no, wrong. I got no problems with Casey. Me either. Um, Dave Ball. Is that it? Yes, David. Dave Ball emails us. Hello, Milk Soppers. <laughs> first off, I was delighted to hear my first letter read on the pod. Oh, he's going to go nuts again. Okay. Because we're reading another one. I was literally standing in line to be tested for COVID and was killing time when I heard my name and email being read, and I was not expecting how fun that would actually be. I'm loving the evolution of the format. The interviews are super fun. Can't wait to see who you have lined up next. Any thoughts on the Snyder Cut? Okay. I have not watched it, and I've heard a few reviews which seem to be positive but also measured. Honestly, I can't see myself watching it anytime soon simply because I've moved on from the dark, brutalistic, nihilistic aesthetic that Zack Snyder brings to the table even though it seems the Snyder Cut is marginally, if not considerably better. Also, the toxic fandom and drama behind the scenes leading up to the film was also a bit of a turnoff for me. Just wondering what your reactions is to the new Justice League. I am embarrassed or proud to say that I have not watched either Justice League or the Snyder Cut. Like, Justice League came out and the reviews were pretty terrible, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure there's people out there who like it. Kevin, I think you like it better than some. I just think uh, it's... I, I found it watchably bad. Um... But 
you know, the reviews were so terrible. I just that I was convinced. I was like, listen, I'm not going to watch it. Like I went to see Batman v Superman in the theaters and it was like a drag. It was just like boring. Hey, I don't think that bad movies are a moral failing that deserve the outrage they sometimes get from fans. Bad movies happen. No big deal. But I don't want to waste my time watching them. And so when I heard Justice League was bad, I didn't care to watch it. And all this fuss about the Snyder Cut that happened, I just never believed it. I was like, there is no way that a movie that was panned so badly could. I I said, I'll wait. If it comes out and everyone's like, this movie's amazing, I'll watch it. And that was not the reaction. The reaction that I gleaned from the Snyder Cut was it's definitely better, but not like transcendently better, just like a little better. That's what I got. The vibe of I watched it because um, I was curious. Uh, I guess I've seen all the Snyder films. Maybe I like them. I don't know. Yeah. Um, if you didn't like any of his other films, you're not going to like or any of his other DC films, I should say. You're not going to like this one. It's more of the same. Um, it's not funny. Like there's no humor in it. Yeah. It's pretty joyless. Uh, and, and people make fun of like the Marvel movies for being kind of quippy, I think sometimes. Yeah. But I like my superheroes quippy. Me too. I like a little, I like a little uh, uh, fun dialogue. I like a little humor. Yeah. It's such a crazy concept, superheroes, that if you're not having fun with it, why? I, I, don't, I don't need this dour, sad superheroes that are like gritty and cool. I like superheroes that are fun and, and exciting. Yeah. Uh, like even Watchmen, the Alan Moore Watchmen is fun. Oh, for sure. The comic book? Yes. And there's tons and of it, mischief in it and like And it's yeah. dark and violent and 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 everything Zack Snyder loves, but the book itself is fun too. I mean, you can make an argument that Watchmen is a comedy, it just in terms of like, look what I can do to your precious superhero ideas, fans, says Alan mm-hmm. Moore. You could you could you can make that argument. Yeah. It's not so, it's not a comedy, but I mean what Kevin says is true. There's lots of funny stuff in it. So like anytime, if there was anything in the original cut of Justice League that made you laugh or smile, that stuff's not in this movie. <laughs> There's a little bit of humor coming from the Flash, uh, uh, but not much. I haven't watched Aquaman or Shazam even. I guess I should watch those. Um, I mean, they're they're all insane. Uh, <laughs> these movies. In different ways. But, I mean, it's four hours. A lot of people were raving about this movie going, oh, finally, they gave the time to this character or that character. It's a four-hour movie. Yeah. If they didn't give time to every character, it would be insane. Right. If you get right. a four-hour movie and like, oh, we didn't have time for Wonder Woman. Yeah. You'd be like, why not? Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, this this version had more time for the characters. Uh, but also, like, that time is often, like, just an action sequence twice as long or something. I don't know. There's parts of the bad Joss Whedon version that I think are better. And there's parts mm-hmm. of this four hour cut that are better. Uh, my main way take my main takeaway from the movie is like, I kind of like Ben Affleck as Batman. Mm, interesting. Uh, I think he is pretty good and he's pretty fun. And he sort of is good in both versions of the movie. Okay. Um, good for him. And it's sort of surprising to me that he's good. As uh, Batman. I'm always rooting for Ben Affleck. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, um, that's my main takeaway. The movie itself is, uh, it's like anything, it sort of doesn't fully make sense to me how, I don't don't know. Don't watch it if you're not interested in watching it because it's four hours. (laughs) It it is what you think it is. Uh, It is, you know, not terrible. And if you loved loved Batman versus Superman, you're going to love this. (laughs) 
Uh, I did not enjoy Batman versus Superman, so I didn't really enjoy it that much. But yeah. I didn't like it wasn't hard to watch. I spent three nights going through it all. Yeah. Uh, are there any comic characters that you feel you could write your own story about a flagship character or minor character or independent character? Yeah, but I doubt I would do something that fans would like because I would not be focused at all on the fighting. It would be pure emotional drama. Like the fighting would be have to the editor would have to remind me to do it. So, I mean, I guess I'm cocky. I think I could do any of them. You know, I guess it would be fun to take one who's bad and try to make him good, him or her good. Like, I think that would be more fun to do than I think I could write a good Spider-Man story because he's an an amazing character. No mm -hmm. pun intended on word choice there. Um and the roadmap has been drawn for great Spider-Man stories. It'd be more fun to try to do a great, I'm not 100% sure, like Iron Fist story. There probably have been good Iron Fist stories. But, you know, someone who's not really had their their time. Yeah, I'm sort of the same way. I'd be like, I think I could do it for any character, which is probably not true, having never written a comic book. Um, uh, but I feel like I've read enough comic books and have enough understanding of written enough in general that it's like, oh, yeah, give me a character. I could make it work. Whether or not people would like it, I, who knows? I but guess I could only write a version of a character that I'd be very excited to read. No it would question. It would probably be fun to pick someone who's got a great visual design, but there's not been a great story yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where it's like, man, this character looks... Because, you know, like when we were kids, you'd play with action figures and you'd play with Boba Fett way more than like Boba Fett had presence in the movies because he just looked so cool. Uh, then of course the Mandalorian comes out, which essentially is like the Boba Fett looking like character who's got a great story. Yeah. Something like that. Like who's like a cool looking character? Like, I don't know. Is, has there been a great union Jack story? I always, I always dug his design. I like his design too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's been a great yeah, union that, that's, Jack character. I, I would set, I would set a set of, has there been a great like vindicator story from alpha flight? I mean, what a great costume. Yeah. Uh, I mean, other than the Alpha Flight series that John Byrne did, I, I don't know. The Alpha Flight series is pretty good. Um, but that's a great looking character, I always thought. Yeah. Um, there's definitely characters that I'm drawn to. I like characters. Um, I have an affinity for characters who are kind of in over their head, like with um, somebody who I liked. One of the reasons I liked Booster Gold when he first came out before his time travel sort of took him over was that he had this technology that he didn't make it. Yeah. Like he didn't really understand his, like if something broke, he couldn't fix it. Yeah. Uh, and there's something interesting about that. Just like you're way in over your head. Like Iron Man's armor breaks. Like, well, he just takes it back to the shop or whatever, but like somebody else is sort of just barely hanging on. Like even Green Lantern has a little bit of that, right? Like he's got this ring, but does he really understand how it works? I also uh, tend to like about that, like yeah. out of your hands and you're just sort of like, I'm doing the best I can with a tool that I just happen to have. There's something interesting about that to me. I don't know. If I was given an opportunity to write a comic, I would, and this would be a terrible idea. I'd want to do a new character. That would be the most fun. I would want to do like something like a de debunker, like a Mythbuster kind of character. Like the whole fake news thing of recent times irks me so much in a simplistic way that I'd like to do some, like a Snopes. I'd like to do like the Snopes.com superhero who's somehow was motivated to like set the record straight on stuff. That was like the big emotional motive. I don't know if that's a, I'd start from there. Great. All right. Uh, I've got DC on the line, so we'll connect them after this podcast is done recording. They've been on hold the whole time. Uh, let's take a short break, Will. Okay, here's a break. Hey, 
Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. Uh, let's do a few more emails, Will. Um, and we're not going to get through all of these. There's more than I thought. Okay. Uh, this one is from uh, Scott Watkins. I haven't been listening too long. Ugh, I can't believe I'm answering his email. <laughs> uh, just got on board for the Secret Wars episodes and have been poking around the archives of older episodes. So you guys may have already covered these topics, but I wanted to share a couple of my favorite Doctor Doom moments related to both Secret Wars and FF that you might appreciate. Okay. Uh, one is a Secret Wars story involving Doctor Doom that didn't pay off until a year later. In FF 260, Doctor Doom is apparently killed and his body is destroyed. Doom is secretly survived by transferring his mind into a bystander. But the FF don't know this, and so Doom is presumed dead. Then in Secret Wars, Doom is alive and, well, summoned to Battleworld with the rest of the characters. How is this possible if Doom has no body to summon? We learn the answer in FF 288, a crossover issue with Secret Wars 2. In this issue, the Beyonder reveals that when he populated Battleworld at the beginning of the original Secret Wars, he was not able to locate Dr. Doom, even though he was aware of Doom's existence. So because there was no Doom in the present, the Beyonder located a version of Doom existing in the future and pulled them backwards in time so they could fight in Secret Wars. After revealing this, and after some scientific cajoling from Reed, the Beyonder recreates Doom's true body, transfers Doom's mind from the bystander back into his proper body, then he sends his newly restored Dr. Doom into the past, back to the beginning of Secret Wars. The events of Secret Wars take place, and at the end of which Doom is banished, disappearing from Battleworld. Uh, at the end of FF288, we learn that Doom appears in Latveria, thus closing the time loop that the Beyonder created when he summoned Doom from the future. Uh, so <laughs> I guess we just see when he gets pulled from. <laughs> it, it seems like Beyonder went to a lot of trouble to pull Doom into his battle world. Yeah. Uh, for a character that ended up being his the biggest problem he had there. Yeah. Things like that are kind of fun when someone has to do like the legal loophole closing yeah. of some comics continuity. But I ultimately, that stuff always washes away from my brain. Yeah. I mean, I think Jim Shooter was just like, I got to have doom in this. Yeah. I think Shooter was right. And that's that was the beginning and the end of his reasoning. Yeah. And I think as far as fans were, that's, you know, you got to, you got to, it's like, I don't care if Joker's dead. If you want a big Batman story, Joker's going to be there somehow. Mm-hmm. And then he shares a moment from FF number 17. Uh, this is by, uh, I forget who wrote it, but an uh, artist named Jack Kirby was the artist at the time. Never heard of him. Um, Doom reveals his true That was more Gilbert plans. Godfrey than Stan Lee. Right <laughs> yeah, there. a little bit Gilbert Godfrey. I never heard of him. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> they can't do Gilbert Godfrey anymore. Uh, so Doom reveals his plan. I'm going to read some Doom quotes to you, Will. Okay. Ha! I am triumphant, even beyond my wildest hopes. They are fighting amongst themselves, so I shall let them a while longer. Let them tremble at my next move, as the world shall soon tremble. For it is not money I seek, not personal gain, 
With my genius, I can make fortunes easily as others make pennies. No, what I crave is power, and that is what I shall have. I shall send this specially prepared tape to Washington outlining my demands. Actually, my terms are modest for one as powerful as I. All I insist upon is a post in the president's cabinet. (laughs) It is only fitting that a man of my ability have at least cabinet rank in the government. That's pretty great. That is pretty hilarious. <laughs> uh, we just for sure read that when we went through the FF 108 yeah. issues. That is a bonker. The Doom's early appearances are so nuts <laughs> through and through. I can't believe that he becomes the premier villain of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I shall be Secretary of the Interior. <laughs> it's like, all right, uh, we've had to make a change to the cabinet. <laughs> We don't normally make, we don't normally work with terrorists, but his demands were so reasonable. <laughs> Introducing your new Secretary of State, Doctor Doom. Doom. <laughs> can, we, can we call you something else? <laughs> no, not uh, Doctor. It's not the Doctor part. Uh, he asks what cabinet post we think Doom would be <laughs> suited for. I have no idea. It's got to be Secretary of State, you know, uh, Ambassador. I right. think he'd be terrible at that. Wouldn't he be? Well, that's what he'd technology want. one? I don't think there's like Secretary of Tech. Well, there should be. Secretary of Commerce, I guess, would be the closest. Um, maybe he'd be like Secretary of uh, uh, what? What? What is there like? What are the What are the different posts? I don't know. Um, the Interior, State. Um, is there? What's the? God, I'm embarrassed. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, U.S. Okay. cabinet uh, positions. Vice president heads of 15 departments, agriculture, commerce, defense, ag- education, energy, health, human services, homeland mm-hmm. security, housing and urban development, interior, mm-hmm. labor, state, transportation, treasury, and veterans affair. Transportation, I think energy. Baby. Oh, yeah, energy. That's better. It's the most sciencey one. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, homeland security, probably be great at that. Be evil. I mean, we'd be safe though. He would definitely like beat the crap out of anybody uh, who came after us. Maybe transportation. If he really got behind transportation, maybe we'd have some, you know, like if he applied his tech brain to, you know, we'd have like a high speed train and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bunch of doom robots on Amtrak. Ticket, please. <laughs> Ticket, please, or you will die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Thomas Fransom emails us well. Mm-hmm. I've been enjoying a season of guests. I especially enjoyed the interview with Tom. His insight on Fantastic Four was really interesting. On an unrelated matter, people often poke fun at Stan Lee for his overuse of exclamation points. I agree the frequency of exclam- exclam- exclamation points is high in Lee's writing, but I noticed that Kirby also uses excessive exclamation points in this dialogue and captions in Fourth World. In some Fourth World issues, Kirby's average number of exclamation points after each line of dialogue and captions is two. And three or four when emphasis is needed. What do you guys think of this observation? Does it shed new light on the Lee Kirby collaboration or is it a coincidence? I love this. I have not made this observation consciously, but he's right. Kirby uses a ton of exclamation points. I think it's definitely true in the fourth world. But I think to some extent, uh, wasn't it just that periods don't show up well? I didn't didn't know that. In the printing, periods don't, they kind of get lost. So it's all exclamation points and question marks because they just they show up very easily in the printing. 
Uh, so to some extent, sentences not ending in periods is why. Now, why you would use two or three exclamation points, I have no reasoning for, <laughs> other than I guess if every sentence ends in one. But is it fun to think that Kirby was kind of biting off Lee's style a little bit? I mean, he must have been, right? If 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 you had Stanley writing your dialogue being like, no one else could do this, and you're like, I could do that, you'd be trying to do what that guy did. To show him, like, I could do what I you could, did better. Because, like, what he did worked. So you're like, I can do what Stan, sort of the premier scripter, I can do yeah. his job. Yeah. Um, these are the comics where I was successful, the ones Stan Lee wrote. So I'm going to do what Stan Lee did for my own work. I think that is 100% true. Yeah. But Stan you know, did it better, right? Like, Stan was better at that than Kirby. Yeah. I mean, Kirby also did it later, uh, where yeah. that style was already starting to become probably dated. dated. Yeah. Definitely by the fourth world time. It's like, oh, I wouldn't want Stan Lee scripting the fourth world necessarily. Right. You'd want somebody better. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm sure his writing style was influenced by Stan Lee, whether or not he would admit it. Definitely would not. Um, I think it would have to be. Uh, Donald emails us. Uh, uh, thanks for reading my email about Secret Wars. Uh, I had never read this issue. Oh, he's talking about Batman 232. I had never read this issue and really enjoyed it. I like how they let Roz demonstrate his own detective bona fides by deducing Batman's identity. You guys commented that the retelling of Batman's origin felt forced while Robin's made more sense. It's too bad because they had a perfect way to organically retell Batman's origins. Roz should have just retold the story as part of how he figured out Batman's identity. He found Bruce Wayne was the only rich guy who was buying all the stuff Batman needed and then looked into Bruce. He read the news reports about his parents and put the motive together with the means. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that'd be a very uh, elegant That's place true. to That'd be a origin. good transition, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think, it, I mean, I think it was just a little bit forced in there. I think every now and then you just retell origins in comics back yeah. then without collections. is like, let's remind everyone how we got here. Uh, so superheroes thought about re remembering their origins every now and then. Uh, Aaron Smith emails us uh, some photos of uh, a Hulk metal Hulk statue. Will I'll forward to you Okay. and asks, here's an option, not nothing to do with the statue. Here's an option. to have the privilege of a superpower. Does flight include, uh, 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 does the flight option include uh, that it somehow keeps you warm? So, uh, or can you only fly on warm days? <laughs> it's the sentence is sort of muddled. So I'm trying to make sense of it. I, uh, I do stand firm on picking the superpower flight when asked which superpower I would pick if I could just have one. So I guess he's just saying, if if someone said you can have the power of flight, would you assume that also meant you'd fly comfortably? <laughs> I guess even if, even if it didn't, you could deal with that with like clothes or something. Yeah, but if you flew too high, doesn't it get really, really, really cold? Then I won't fly that high. You know, even if I could only fly like 100 feet off the ground, that's a pretty great power. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw things at you if you're too low. I mean, I guess that's true, but I feel like it was just at least to get around town. <laughs> My question is, would it would, would you get tired flying? Yeah, like, you exert energy. Is flying like walking or running? Yeah. Uh, then it feels like maybe I wouldn't enjoy it that much. Yeah. Is it like running really fast? You have to exert yourself like that much? I mean, it doesn't seem to be when Superman does it, but I don't know if he's a fair... Barometer because he's right. got somebody, he's got super strength. So even if it was, he could handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Flying always looks pretty effortless. You never see somebody like treading water like while yeah. they're flying. 
Uh, or even if it was like uh, using like telekinetic powers where you get like nosebleeds in the comics whenever you use them. Uh, if you were just like had to really focus and concentrate the whole time, then you wouldn't really enjoy it maybe. Yeah, but took a lot of mental energy or else you plummet out of the sky. I guess I'm just saying if someone offered me the chance to fly, I got follow-up questions before I say yes. <laughs> They'd be you're a little ungrateful. I'm giving you the power of flight. Um, that's all the old emails from our screw it spidey mailbox. Well, all right, then I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Uh so next time we do emails, we'll we'll start working our way through the new screw it comics emails we've gotten. Yeah. Some of which may have been sent to screw it spidey and just forwarded, but uh uh, we've got, I think, uh, five or six more. Great. So, uh, if you want to email us, screw it comics at Gmail. Also, we have a Instagram account, screw it comics at a Twitter account, screw it comics. Thank you for listening to our mailbag episode and uh, tune in next week. We're having Scott Ackerman back. Yeah. Uh, to talk about, uh, a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. So we'll see you at that. Uh, we'll see you then guys. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just screw it. Comics. Hey, you, yeah, the listener of Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics. Are you ready for a promo? Let's do yoga. Let's get fit. Hi, I'm Nick. And Let's, I'm Uriel. And we're the hosts of Hella in Your 30s. This is a podcast for people of all ages, all about navigating this dystopian world we live in <laughs> that's right so every monday we invite you into our living room or out into the world on whatever adventures we go on or into our living room for an adventure in our living room <laughs> yeah like having your wife challenge you to a great british baking show style competition in your own kitchen that's right or maybe you know you want to know what it's like to volunteer at a food bank or maybe uh, well you know you want to hear what it's like to foster kittens in the midst of a pandemic that's right super easy but giving cats medication is literally the worst thing in the world <laughs> okay anyways if you want to hang out with us find us every monday hella in your 30s wherever you get your podcast Bye. tomorrow's a new day let's order pizza